The National Immunization Program for COVID-19 has been progressing for some weeks now, and this week it was open to the public, with persons over 65 being given priority. It's a significant task, but one which virtually every nation around the world must make a success if they wish to tame the havoc that COVID has wreaked on societies and economies. In our case, the government initially received 5,000 doses of the AZ vaccine from Dominica from what had come into that country from India. That was around February 11th. They were used to jab frontline workers and critical staff. By February 25th, online registration for vaccination was available to members of the public, though some technical issues hampered initial registration. Phone lines meant to receive registrants were said to be overwhelmed as well. By Tuesday, March 2nd, it was announced that vaccination was available to the public, with the priority being over 65s. People would need to present identification, and around that time as well, more vaccines were arriving on island. There was an overwhelming response, and so far thousands have been vaccinated. But it appeared that the flurry of people seeking to get jabbed was more than health authorities anticipated or were adequately prepared to marshal. Images of Health Minister Malwin Joseph amidst a throng of weary people who had been waiting sometimes for hours to get jabbed had been making the rounds on social media. Crowds were noticeably anxious at the Novel Richards Academy, where one site is located, as shown by videos which in which there were noisy, undistanced crowds congesting in an area outside the entrance to that vaccination unit. Uh, Those were the scenes on Tuesday, but contrastingly, many people report that inside the centers, the operations were orderly and smooth. One Facebook commentator on Observer Media said that once inside, persons were distanced, they were processed without much issue, jabbed, monitored, and discharged. Uh, The issue of management of the immunization program from a logistical standpoint has become a much spoken about topic, and as the program continues, there may be other issues that are encountered. And we don't live in a bubble in Antigua and Barbuda. Every other country is pretty much trying to execute the same task that we are. So on this segment, we've tried to bring together a panel to tell us how other immunization programs have been progressing around the region, what strides they've made, what problems they've faced, and whether there's anything we can gain from each other's experiences. Our main question is, how has the rollout been going in other Caribbean islands, and how can we ourselves in Antigua and Barbuda improve? Uh, joining our panel for this discussion, we're happy to have with us Dr. Gerald Thompson. Uh, he's an advisor to the St. Vincent and the Grenadines COVID-19 Task Force, and he's an infectious disease specialist. Good afternoon to you, Dr. Gerald Thompson. Good afternoon there. Uh, it's, a very, uh, it's, a very, it's my pleasure to be on our Antigua Observer Radio. Um, we also have joining us Dr. Hazel Brown. Dr. Hazel Brown is the Chief Nursing Officer in the Cayman Islands. Good afternoon to you, Dr. Brown. Uh, I think your um, your microphone is perhaps still muted. We didn't hear you just a moment ago. Good afternoon, and thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Uh, we also have on this panel Miss Raisa Charles. She's an Antiguan and Barbudan, and she's Operations Chief over COVID-19 vaccine distribution with the city of Austin, Texas, in the United States. Good afternoon to you, Miss Raisa Charles. Good afternoon. And finally, we have Mr. Kadim Joseph. He's a journalist and health editor with the Antigua Observer. He holds a degree in health science and has organized health fairs here in Antigua and Barbuda. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Kadim Joseph. Good afternoon. I think we... Did we hear you say good afternoon or is the mic... Good afternoon. Is that the mic? Okay, we'll fix that problem. Doesn't matter. Um, Dr. Hazel Brown, can you just give us a brief overview of the program, the immunization program in the Cayman Islands, you know, essentially when you began and what progress you've made, just broadly? So our program started, uh, and first of all, we were using the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, the two-dose schedule, 
and we're doing uh, the 21 day interval. So we started our, our campaign on the 7th of January. And so far we've given 28,000 jobs. We've had 19,000 uh, persons receiving their first dose. 15% of those receiving, the, who have received the first dose have actually um, received their second dose. 29% of the population has been covered for one dose. Uh, it's been a challenge. Uh, like, like Antigua, um, the response was much more than we expected. So um, in the early days, we had, to, we had to pick up speed very, very quickly. Um, however, all things considered, I think we are having a, a very good um, run over here. And um, Dr. Gerald Thompson, uh, coming from St. Vincent and the Grenadines, can you give us just a, a general overview of uh, the progress there, when you would have started and how much has been done? Yes, I would say that uh, at the beginning of February, we would have obtained some sample doses of the Sputnik vaccine, about 40 doses, and we would have um, started a process of sensitization to show persons that the vaccination is 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 really good and then uh, about the middle of february uh, around the same time of that of antique we would have received uh, five thousand um doses of the oxford university astrazeneca that would have been supplied to us through dominica as well and we started a real robust process mainly for healthcare workers and the elderly those persons over the age of 65 and just um, a week ago, we would have received 40,000 doses of the Oxford University Zeneca. We would have shared 5,000 of that with Grenada, who would not have received theirs. And that's part, I think, of the process in the Caribbean of sharing and so. But we have really uh, taken off. We, we, we have 40 clinics. Uh, government clinics, we have private doctors and so forth that uh, are administered, and we have ma major camp mass campaigns, such as uh, at our Victoria Park, um, going out on the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays at major population centers, the towns, and 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 doing programs. So so far, we've 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 we, in the three weeks that we've really started. Um, pushing we we've uh, administered um, 5200 vaccines we expect that the process is going to step up and 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 ramp up but there's a steady flow especially from vulnerables and the elderly but we are open to persons of all ages over the age of 18 but our target population our healthcare workers the elderly persons who are vulnerable hypertensive diabetics and so forth so and i think that it's going well we, we, we have a major uh, aggressive promotional campaign and um, we, we're hoping to continue pushing it. Uh, Ms. Reza Charles, um, you're in Austin, Texas. Uh, can you describe for us your situation? Uh, how long vaccination has been ongoing in your area in the U.S. and uh, what it's like progress-wise? Okay, um, so we started vaccinating on December 29th. Um, so far, um, Austin Public Health has vaccinated around 66,000 people. Around 49,000 people have gotten their second doses. Um, we opened about three new clinics within the last three weeks. So right now we're averaging about 30,000 vaccines per week. Um, we're hoping to get 
to that herd immunity threshold by July. So we're constantly opening new sites, working on getting those vaccines out to the most vulnerable populations. All right, and uh, Mr. Kadeem Joseph here in Antigua, how would you say that compares to um, uh, what's been going on here from your perspective as a, a journalist observing the process? Well, uh, as you have indicated, uh, there was uh, a few hiccups in the initial rollout, and uh, I think the the first speaker would have said that comparatively, uh, in in her country, would have been more of the same. Where you do have these hiccups in uh, crowd control and determining uh, what's the best way in getting individuals not only out to the vaccination sites, but how many vaccination sites you have, uh, who you targeting in in the first instance, and how are you educating the public. Uh, amid all of this uh, vaccine skepticism. So uh, with all that considered, uh, I would say that you know things went fairly well despite uh, the hiccups that you have chronicled pretty well in, in the introduction. And coming back to you, Dr. Hazel-Brown in, in the Cayman Islands, um, how are you managing your numbers specifically? Uh, do, you, do you ask for walk-ins and allow walk-ins or do you ask for persons to make an appointment or do you do both? How do you manage the numbers coming in? Well, first of all, we, we have... Um, identify the priority groups. So we started off in January with the over 60s. Um, we started with the over 70s actually and healthcare workers. And then once we felt we had a, a fair percentage, about 50% of the over 70s, we opened to the over 60s. And slowly we've been adding groups until on Thursday, we opened to the entire population. Um, we managed the crowd by um, Right now we're using alphabetical groups, so we've opened to everyone and um, we're going alphabetically. So on Thursday, we on Friday, we had everybody whose name began with A. On Saturday, this person whose name began with B. And um, that's the way we plan to control this, this completely open, um, open approach. Now, we've had to also look at persons who were legally and ordinarily resident in the island because we found that a fair number of visitors were coming um, and and were um, accessing vaccination and, and we really couldn't afford it. We don't have the number of doses to allow us to, to just um, administer to persons who come simply for that purpose. Um, so we we manage, we have a single site for the most part. Initially we started out when we were dealing with the the um, older persons, we went, used all of our district clinics, and the response was very, very good. How many district um, clinics do you have? Just give us a sense of how many that is then. How many sites? Uh, on, the, on the main island on Grand Cayman, we have five clinics, and we have clinics on one clinic on, on Little Cayman, the smallest island, and we have a small hospital, community hospital, including a clinic on Cayman Brack. So, that gives us what about six or seven sites um however we've transitioned to doing the majority of our vaccine at the airport now i don't know if anyone else has considered it but airports are built for crowd control um and it has worked amazingly well it's it is a, a an efficient site um we can push through a couple of thousand a day and um, we have the benefit here in Cayman because we are, we're, our primary health care is under the same authority as our secondary care. So I can pull um, nurses, nurses from across the health service. And so we have, uh, we have staff to be able to run 10 stations in our large 
airport um, airport delivery point. And that has worked very, very well for us. Um, that along with the crowd control. Now, I, I, I need to put a plug in here, though, that we've had from the very, very outset, um, very, very tight controls around lockdown and curfews and masks and all that sort of thing. And with the introduction of the vaccine, we can't, um, we can't relax those, those protections. Uh, we still encourage people to wear masks. Masks are not mandated across the islands, but we do require masks in healthcare facilities and we require masks in the airport. Mm-hmm. So we're still working with those other protections as well. Let me ask. Uh, let me ask Dr. Gerald Thompson on the same question of numbers and, and managing the flow of persons. Uh, is it a situation? And I think you may have mentioned it a bit earlier. Is it that you have persons uh, walking in? Is there an, an appointment system? Any any form of alphabetization? Is that yes. the right word? Yeah, we we we've considered this to be the largest vaccination campaign in the nation has ever had. And a lot of resources in terms of additional hires of personnel. So in terms of what we consider the three V's, vaccines, vaccinators, and the voluntary vaccinees, we've always been good in terms of the vaccinators. So the nurses and so forth and all the staff, they all mobilized. As I said, 40 clinics across the, 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 the country and the different islands in the Grenadines and so forth. But yes, we basically are also using uh, walk-ins and home visits special home visits to those individuals who may be bedridden or so and we have also visits to the private sector so that um, a large company that has you know 50 60 70 employees and so forth we'll be targeting that we could come there and deploy uh, uh, as a matter of fact out at the airport we we plan very shortly to go out to the airport to, to, to do that to the airport staff but it's a it's a massive campaign and we 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 now just really ramping up getting going and um, I, I, I would say that walk-ins definitely are, are promoted. Uh, we encourage that, but people still make appointments. And um, we, we feel that uh, we're trying to avoid the rush in the COVID setting. Are the appointments but, prioritized uh, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the distribution units then? If someone has an appointment, do they get priority? As opposed to a walk-in? To some, someone, someone who has an appointment would certainly get a priority, but... You know, in terms of the response time and so forth, persons have noticed that 24 hours, we tell them, listen, if you want, just make sure you come down and we have a whole registration program, staff documenting every single thing because of international law that you must keep records. We, 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 we go through, we check people's blood pressure, temperature, so forth. And afterwards, they have to sit down for about 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, depending to see if there are any allergies or so. And, and, and so it's a whole organized uh, program. We're happy about that. It's just now a matter now of getting those more hesitant persons for a lot of reasons, all the rumors and vaccine hesitancy stuff that's going around. Um, you know, we, we, we're still facing much of that, but we're quite happy that in terms of our target groups, the elderly, the vulnerable diabetes, hypertension, and so forth, that they're really coming out. And we then have to have to pause and strategize to get those who are more hesitant to come forward. All right, well, let me um, go to Ms. Risa Charles, uh, managing personnel flow. Uh, how, do you, how do you do that in your situation in Austin, Texas? Um, we have to make sure that we have enough people. Um, for our city, 
we realized that we needed people and our health department didn't have enough people. So our city manager recruited from different departments within the city for them to come and help us for three to six months. Um, so we so we have to make sure that we have enough people outside. We have, when the person first comes to the site, um, they have to enter and check in with the security guard. Um, there are traffic directors that show them where to park. Once they've parked, they head to the check-in station. Um, they get checked in, they are greeted, they receive their forms to fill out and they join a line. The line is, it has, it contains line barriers, similar to what you would expect in a queue in a bank. Um, there are signs on the ground saying, keep your six feet. Um, they, we also have line checkers who make sure that they keep six feet apart, that they have their mask on and they answer any questions that they may have about getting the second dose, anything about the vaccine, anything about filling out the forms and at that point. They get inside, their forms are checked and they get the vaccine. They will sit and wait for about 15 to 30 minutes and then they leave. So it's a pretty smooth process. And uh, uh, coming back to you, Dr. Hazel-Brown, if I could just ask a direct question, of course. Um, uh, the scenes that circulated in Antigua this week were scenes of, of, of crowds and congestions, and that alarmed a lot of people, um, particularly those who uh, you know, were interested in getting vaccinated and they saw... Uh, pictures and videos of uh, congested crowds, anxious people, people saying they've been waiting for hours, uh, people in a situation where there's, there's clearly not social distancing happening. Um, not that that has been the case throughout the week, but those were some scenes earlier uh, and it happened at a few places. Um, has something like that happened in the Cayman Islands? Have you had instances where you've had so many people that they have, they have just congested uh, some of your sites, no distancing uh, and a bit of confusion? We had that a bit of that in the very very early days i'd say in the first week or two um and we had to do lots of lots of um stuff we had to set up tents outside um we once once persons realized though that the vaccine was going to be available that became less of a problem what we found driving that problem however was that Though the vaccine clinic was set up and, and advertised as starting at nine o'clock, people were coming at, at five o'clock in the morning to start to, to start to form a line. So um, that created some some issues for us. But once it got established, we're not having that um, that issue anymore. People now realize that the vaccine is going to be there. They are going to get through. And yes, we do have some lines um, at the airport. One thing that that we have, um, and I and I say this very carefully, is that we have no no um, local spread of vaccine, so spread of, of coronavirus right now. We have no community acquired cases. We've got a, a few people who are in isolation um, because they were picked up on entry. So we're testing at entry, and we're testing 15 days later. And people are only re released from quarantine when they're testing negative. So we don't have as big a problem in, um, we have no problem with community spread right now. So we're, we're not as, um, how shall I put it, constrained by, by the social distancing requirements and that sort of thing. Um, most of our persons at, at our large site, the one site that we're running now consistently, um, are waiting outside um, and they the long wait is usually first thing in the morning and they're in and out um, within half an hour 
including their 15 minute wait. So um, like I said, our airport site has really been tremendously efficient and has, has improved our, our ability to deliver the vaccine. And now coming to you, Dr. Gerald Thompson, um, the sorts of scenes that we saw that, that troubled persons in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, did you have that in the initial stages in St. Vincent? The congestion, crowds of people, uh, anxious? No, I wouldn't say that. I said we, we put up a series of tents, and a tent would be there for the registration area. There would be um, uh, in, in clinics where that were a little small, there would be tents in a different location so that they would go and sit down and, and so after being being vaccinated. And I think you really do have data for that um, uh, COVID-19 concept because I think, you know, we, we ourselves, I must admit, have had uh, an element of community spread. We're now getting over it. And it really ha you really do have to cater for it because you certainly wouldn't want anybody to pick up uh, the, the 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 virus whilst they're being vaccinated so i but i think that that might happen one day and i think in most places showing that everybody would have adjusted and you would have uh, regrouped and basically uh, strategized in order to really get uh, the process going so you know it's a it's a matter that um, uh, a large crowd may come on one day, a small crowd another day, another day you're just overwhelmed. But I think that it's all location related and we got to cater for any sort of increased uh, capacity. And Mr. Kadim Joseph, um, from what you've heard so far, do you think that there's anything that we in Antigua and Barbuda could pick up, anything that we could uh, take on board uh, based on the experiences of others? Well, uh, Looking at uh, what we've seen throughout the Caribbean and even from the presenters this afternoon, uh, there, there are quite a few things that we could possibly employ to sort of help things go uh, a bit faster, including what we've seen in other countries, like uh, having appointments. Uh, there are a lot of people who are going to work during the day, during the same periods of the vaccination process. Uh, so what recommendations or what, what, um, what is being done to help those individuals get the vaccine and these people may be a part of the pool who are willing you know you want to get them vaccinated as soon as possible uh, additionally um we, we heard of the alphabet the alphabetical system that also may help uh, individuals to expedite the process uh because with anything uh individuals can be wayward so it would be great to have as many safeguards towards the prevention of crowding as possible uh, so that these vaccination centers don't in turn become uh, hot spots for the virus. And uh, Ms. Reza Charles, on the issue of whether or not we saw, uh, oh sorry, not we, but you have seen similar scenes in Austin, Texas. Did you, do you see instances like that where the crowd became uh, so thick and so unmanageable that you had congestion? Uh, I mean, for instance, we, we had our Minister of Health, uh, Sir Marlon Joseph, we, is a, a picture of him circulating now in the midst of a crowd. He looks like Moses trying to part the, the is it the Red Sea? um we have not experienced that um we usually well prior to the pandemic we had mass flu clinics and we used our incident action plan that we use for mass flu clinics to plan for COVID 19 mass distribution um we have police at the entrance that wait there until our security comes in the morning so nobody can actually come on site to wait before we let them in um we do appointments so it's appointment only um, so, and also if a person has say an 11 o'clock appointment and they show up at eight o'clock, 
they are not allowed to check in. You have to check in 30 minutes before your appointment. And we found that that keeps the crowd at bay. Um, it keeps the line moving quickly. That way, you know, you're supposed to get there at 11. You should be out of there by 1130. You shouldn't be there for two, three hours because people came earlier than they were supposed to. And uh, coming back to you, Dr. Hazel Brown, the issue of uh, second vaccination doses, you, you'd given some information as you opened about how many persons had received their second dose. Uh, I suppose what I really want to ask is uh, whether or not of the supply of vaccines you have now, you are able to give everybody a second dose, or is it that you are uh, planning future second doses as you continue to get vaccines? And how are you prioritizing it? Are you just you trying to get everybody, as many people as possible, their first jab, even if you don't have a supply ready for the second dose? How, how does it work in the Cayman Islands? Well, sure, we always have the contingent amount for the second dose. That's what we've tried to, to maintain. Um, so, so far we've done um, 19,000, um, first doses and 9,000 second doses um, of persons coming back for their second dose. Those who are due for their second dose, 96% um, of them have come forward for that second dose. So at this point in time, we are, we are planning to just move forward with this second dose. As long as vaccine is available, we're going to move forward with, with the, um, the shortest um, interval to try to get not only a large number of our persons of our of our um, population vaccinated, but that they're that they receive both shots. All right, and uh, Dr. Gerald Thompson, I'm, I'm going to put this question to you. It's just a, a, a quick, um, I suppose I call it a medical question. It's about vaccines, um, and that is whether or not the second dose is in any way um, different from the first dose. I, we, we've had a number of persons just asking that question, whether or not the second dose you get is in any way different from the first. In the case of the Oxford University, AstraZeneca, or the, the Pfizer, or Moderna, it's identical to the first dose. Um, I would say in the case of the Sputnik, it's slightly different. It has a different component so as to increase um, a, a, an element of effectiveness. But um, Sputnik and the uh, Oxford University Zeneca are virtually identical in every other way. And um, in, um, in SVG, uh, the same question that Dr. 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 Brown just answered is the, do, do you have enough of a supply to give uh, everyone? Do you hold supply to give everyone a second dose or do you use supply to give as many people a first dose as possible while still expecting more vaccines to come to give people a second dose? How does it work? Uh, Dr. Gerald Thompson, I think we are. Hello. Yes, we've been having some uh, intermittent difficulty, a uh, sort of a popping there. I'm not sure why that is. Can you Can you hear me now? Yes, yes. In, in, in our case, um, we're taking a model more like the UK, where uh, our 40,000 doses, we're looking to get them out. Uh, our target is virtually 54 to 60,000 persons to be vaccinated to reach what we call community immunity. We don't use the word herd immunity. We use it community immunity because People don't like the word thinking they're their cow or something like that, you know. So community immunity. And, and um, as, uh, in essence, uh, we think that we can achieve that. We expect another set of vaccines in and they will be a help supply for the second dose in. So we're going all out to get as many of that 40,000 into 
40,000 arms, and then uh, a new set of vaccine will be used as it's identical to the first uh, dose that we would um, essentially give it to to them for, for the second dose. Let me ask you, there's another question uh, that persons have been asking, and that's whether or not it, it makes a difference if you are given a second dose with a, with a different vaccine. How, how should that work? Should you be given the second dose with the same vaccine you've gotten the first time? Would it make a difference? There are some studies being conducted right now in Azerbaijan um, uh, on mixing the AstraZeneca with that of the Sputnik. There are other studies at the Pfizer and so forth, but those studies are not out. So right now, no, there's no mixing of the doses that has been uh, projected to, to be authorized right now. That may well change sometime in the future. So individuals should really um, expect that they should go through with it. Although, you know, we, we, we know that the first dose of Oxford University, AstraZeneca, is quite effective in itself. And that that is able to even reduce transmission by 68 to 70 percent. So um, though that's good news on the first dose that it has at least that level of coverage and the second dose has been projected to be given anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks. Some person doing 12 weeks, we, we, in same case, we're giving it at 10 weeks after the first dose, not, not three weeks. Yes. Um, well, Mr. Kareem Joseph, if I could come to you just to ask whether or not at this point um, there is any, any questions, um, any other issues you may want to... Um, based on what you've heard? Oh, I think for me, I'd be curious to know what the vaccine sentiment is like in, in other countries and, and what governments are doing to overcome them. I know in the last PAHO press conference, one of the things that they are advocating for is that the vaccine education campaigns be ramped up with the usage of uh, personalities, uh, well-known personalities, um, healthcare professionals who are going to be the ones that individuals go to to get the vaccines uh, and uh, as well as as other inf influential individuals so uh, i would really like to hear from the other panelists what has been the sentiment about vaccine uh, or what has that been like so far and uh, what has been done to overcome some of the skepticism uh, could i could i put that to you first miss razor charles um, in terms of overcoming skepticism and the other issue that mr joseph raised um, so since the pandemic started, we enlisted a COVID-19 social media team. Um, they do social media and news releases. And so they come up with different ways to get people on board. Um, we've recruited um, pastors, councilmen, different people within the community that do have some influence to do broadcasts of them receiving the vaccine and speaking about why they received the vaccine to try and get a lot of people on board. Um, but so far, we've had um, a lot of people who are willing to get the vaccine. It seems like we don't have enough vaccine. Everybody's complaining about like when Austin Public Health is going to get more. So we have a very, very good amount of people who are ready to get the vaccine and are on board. And Dr. Hazel Brown in, in the Cayman Islands, uh, how have you addressed that issue of um, vaccine confidence, boosting confidence? Well, one of the biggest challenges that, that we've encountered here is the, um, our Caribbean population, our, our generational Caymanians or other Caribbean groups are probably um, exhibiting the greatest hesitancy. So 
we when we consider the, the social mobilization in, in any campaign, you have to consider the groups that you're going to direct it to. And of course, you know, Facebook and, and the social media works extremely well for, for the younger population, um, even for the, the 40 plus year olds. But when we're, when we're trying to reach the older population, we have to take it out through the churches. Um, you have to take it. We've, we've worked with our Seamen and Veterans um, Association. We've, we have uh, worked with our churches, our pastors. Again, um, we've gone on all the media, all of the radio stations. We're, we're trying to reach them using healthcare professionals, again, using persons from churches. We're using um, people from the cultural and, and the arts to get the messages out there. Um, so, so it's a multi-pronged approach to try to get this message out to various population groups. One of the biggest things that, that we're facing is the, um, the religious opposition, um, you know, the usual stories, it's the mark of the beast, it's, they're out to control us, and, and, and you know, the, the usual um, hesitancy that, that comes with the belief that we're, someone's out to try to control our thoughts and whatever. So we're working um, directly against that. We started a very intense um, media campaign going on talk shows probably about three weeks ago, and we have had some good um, responses. We're seeing more of the older people coming out now and coming forward. One of the questions that we've had from the younger persons is, how did this vaccine um, get out to the to the population so quickly following the the identification of the of the virus now that that group is is um often speaking from the perspective of science so you can use science and, and scientific information and redirect them from social media sites out to actual actual scientific sites to to try to overcome some of that skepticism but it is multi-pronged. Let me ask you, let me ask you, uh, Dr. Brown, and I'll, I'll put the, these two questions to the rest of the panel because we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, one, I'd ask you whether or not you think, are you satisfied in the Cayman Islands with the level of support you're getting from religious leaders in terms of uh, dispelling myths and putting people's fears at ease about vaccine? That's, that's question number one. Are you satisfied with the level of support you, you have in the Cayman Islands from religious leaders? Yes and no. Um, like any group, you have those who come out very, very strongly in support of it, um, and you have others who who aren't so much so. Um, and again, that that tends to cut across some cultural lines. And Am I satisfied? I won't be satisfied until we get this vaccine out and we can get the level of protection that that we really need. And the next but question is that a reasonable um, dissatisfaction? Probably not. And the next question is whether or not you have um, experienced any significant vaccine hesitancy amongst your healthcare workers, uh, nurses, uh, for example. Um, is, is it that all your, your frontline staff uh, uh, and, and essential uh, persons, uh, emergency persons, have been willing to take the vaccine? Have you had any significant resistance there? Not significant resistance, but um, there is hesitancy. We have in, in Cayman, I'm sure they have it in the Eastern Caribbean. Um, you know, there's the, the, the problem that we have with fish poisoning. So there's a particular fish, the barracuda, that poisons um, people there more frequently than others. And 
what people do, they try, they, they test the barracuda on the cat or the ant or the dog or the neighbor. And we're, we're saying here, we're seeing the, the barracuda test with the vaccine as well. Let my neighbor take it and I'll see what he looks like in two weeks and then I'll come forward and take it. Take it. So so we're, we're seeing some of that now. People who've been watching their neighbors get it and it's been in place now for going on seven weeks or so. They're now coming forward and saying, yeah, the neighbor took it and didn't die, so now I'm coming for mine. Uh, Ms. Razor Charles, I'm satisfied with the level of support from religious leaders and uh, is there any significant hesitancy amongst um, persons um, nurses, uh, frontline workers? Um, for most of our hospital staff and clinic staff, we've seen um, a lot of adoption from that group. Uh, the worry for us mostly is from long-term care workers. People who work in elderly facilities are not getting the vaccine, so we have been trying to get our mobile strike team up to them to educate them to get them on board because it not only protects them, but protects the elderly population that they work with. Um, for religious leaders, so far, it hasn't been much of a problem. The only recent issue has been the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which we may be receiving shortly. And there is talk about it being tested using um, fetal cell lines. So we have had some opposition from the Catholic community, but we are working on that. And uh, Dr. Gerald Thompson, uh, we have had some disruption with you, and I think perhaps maybe it's the movement um, of your microphone. Uh, but the same two questions, um, uh, satisfied with the level of support from religious leaders and also any resistance significant amongst your, your frontline workers? Religious leaders have been generally supportive. Um, I think that um, the uh, definitely resist some some resistant healthcare workers, but I love that idea about the Marikuda test. I think some persons are waiting to see. I think we are going to see another upsurge in vaccination within another couple of weeks during the Marikuda concept. But we have to we we are intensively educating and so and trying to that a lot of these anti-vax things, the sterility, the, the chip, the, 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 all those sort of things. And I think that we're working on it because that aspect is not moving. But there's a lot of new things coming on the media, coming out about the vaccine that's positive. And as a result, I think that is also helping as well. All right, thank you so much. We're going to leave it there. We say thank you to all four of our guests. Uh, Dr. Gerald Thompson, he's an advisor to the St. Vincent and the Grenadines COVID-19 Task Force, and he's an infectious disease specialist. Uh, Dr. Hazel Brown, she's the chief nursing officer in the Cayman Islands. Uh, Ms. Rasa Charles, she's an Antiguan and Barbudan, and she's operations chief over COVID-19 vaccine distribution with the city of Austin, Texas. Uh, and also to Mr. Kadeem Joseph, journalist and health editor here uh, with the Antigua Observer. Thanks to all four of you.